Welcome to the My Canine Coach Podcast, a show that coaches dog owners on how to achieve their ideal lifestyle with and for their dogs. You'll hear from canine coach Dana as she breaks down actionable dog training protocols, explores current dog training trends, and shares insights from her own experiences owning and working with dogs. Now, here's your host, canine coach Dana. Hey team, welcome back to another episode of the My Canine Coach Podcast. I am your host, canine coach Dana, and I'm joined by my sometimes silent co-host, Loki, who is my bohemian shepherd, who is actually going to be the focus of this episode as I talk about crate training. And I do also need to say I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. So if my voice sounds funny, that's probably what's happening. Anyway, I figured for this topic, it would be interesting to hear how humbling crate training Loki was for me as it completely rocked the way that I typically crate train. This episode also comes out just after the release of my brand new crate training online course. So if you like what you hear here and you want to go check that out, it's linked in the show notes and you can find it posted everywhere that I am online. All right. So I have loads of crate training under my belt from client dogs to crate training uh, my own dog, Coda, my cattle dog that I had a few years ago. And my typical go-to procedure is to feed meals in the crate, give Kongs in the crate or bones, make sure that the dog is tired and has gone potty before crating them, and then really just letting them cry it out and get accustomed to being in there on their own. Most dogs I've found are pretty resilient enough to handle that level of stress. And if I've done a little bit of the beforehand work of pairing positive things as well as setting them up to be in a state of mind where they likely would want to relax, we can get through the crate training pretty easily with just doing this cry it out method. And it's really the standard practice that I've used. And I think it's probably the most standard procedure for crate training. If you ask the average dog owner, or if you did like a general Google search of how to crate train your dog, I would go to venture that, or I would guess that the cried out method is probably going to be the number one hit on your results list. So when we got Loki, that's what I was envisioning for our crate training plan. I've used it a ton of times with other clients with success. I used it with my first dog, Coda, with success. And so I had this whole idea of we're going to bring Loki home. We're going to do the cry it out method from day one. He's going to come home. He's going to be put in the crate overnight. And that's just going to be the thing. We're going to make sure that he's, you know, well rested, has gone potty. We've done a little bit of positive association before we put him in there. And he's going to cry. I know he's going to cry, but he's going to be able to settle after a good maybe 20 minutes of crying. He should be able to settle. And if we just repeat that and stay consistent and don't go and give him any extra affection or attention when he's crying or a little bit stressed, then he'll learn to acclimate and adjust and he'll be fine in the crate. So that was really my plan going into it. Now, Loki, we had to go pick up from JFK. If you don't know Loki's story, he is from Slovakia. So after our first dog, Coda, died, we did a bunch of, well, really me, did a bunch of research to come up with the next type of breed that we would be interested in owning. And we landed on the Bohemian Shepherd for loads of reasons in terms of temperament, trainability, energy level, uh, sociability, all that kind of stuff. And 
we landed on that dog. I had my heart set on that type of breed and they don't breed them in the U.S. Well, they didn't breed them in the U.S. at the time that we were looking to get one. So we had to get one from overseas through a lot of Google Translate. <laughs> we were able to connect with a breeder from Slovakia and she was willing to sell us a puppy and have it fly here. Loki flew here with his sister. So two puppies, one crate came on a plane from Slovakia to uh, U.S. port of JFK, which is in New York City. And we had to go get him when he arrived, which was very exciting. I think I documented it the two years ago when it happened. It was a whole thing on my socials. But um, we had to go get him. And his flight was supposed to arrive at 10 o'clock at night. And then he had to go through uh, cleared customs and all that kind of good stuff. By the time we got him, I don't... I think it was around like 1130 or something like that. Um, so we got him kind of like, it took him a while to be released to us. And then we had to drive home from the airport to where we live up in uh, Saratoga Springs, New York, near that area. And so then we had to drive about three and a half hours to get home. Uh, so by the time we got home, it was kind of like around 2 a.m. if I can guess that that was the time that we got back and we were all set up and ready to go i already had prepped the apartment we puppy proofed everything uh we took all the rugs out of the apartment because we knew we would be potty training and i didn't want to have to deal with accidents on my rugs or carpets so we took all those out we puppy proofed everything so everything that was like low to the ground that we knew he could get at. We picked all that up and put it up somewhere or we put it away. We had his crate all set up. Everything was set up so that when we got home, we could take care of business and get as much sleep as we could um, and just kind of take it from there the next day. So we get home. He is, or he should be exhausted, right? Because he just went through a huge life experience after not only living for after only living I should say for 10 weeks in this world <laughs> and he flew on a plane met all these weird people heard all these strange sounds probably was super stressed out uh got handed to two strangers was driven home in a car like just imagine the type of stress that he probably was under during that whole ordeal is pretty insane um so we were like he's gonna just pass the fuck out like there's no way that this dog is going to stay awake. Like he's got to be so spent and exhausted. We um, fed him a little bit when we first got him in the car because uh, we knew he probably would be a little bit hungry after spending all that time traveling. And uh, so we knew he had eaten. We gave him water, of course. And by the time we got home, we had to make sure that he would go potty. So we, you know, spent like a good 20 minutes out in the front yard trying to make sure he would go before we put him down in the crate for the night. And we just assumed that he would just pass out and sleep for a, hopefully a solid few hours so that we could sleep for a few hours. Uh, but that was not the case. We put him in the crate. We went to bed. Now we, uh, to help us through the cried out method, we like to keep the crate in a separate room from where we're sleeping because we know that the puppy's going to cry probably a few times throughout the night. And so to help us not give in to the crying, we usually put him in the main area of our apartment and then Andrew and I sleep in our bedroom. And when he cries, so long as it's not any like 
anything over like an hour of crying, we just kind of let him or let the dog kind of do its thing, cycle through that stress, cycle through acclimating and kind of getting back to a good baseline and then going back to sleep again. And so um, it's easiest if the dog's not with you because you're not tempted to go and console them. And then also you have a better chance at sleeping because it's not like the puppy's crying literally in your room. So we had him out in the main area of our apartment in a crate and then Andrew and I were in our bedroom. We go to bed and immediately like when we left him he started crying and whining and it wasn't really that intense we were like okay this is the start of it he'll probably amp up a little bit and then after that he should be able to kind of cycle through it and calm down and go to sleep that was not the case uh (laughs) he screamed in his crate for two plus hours because i also got really stubborn and i was like this method should work he, at any minute now, any time now, should just exhaust himself and go to sleep. And it just never happened. And because we live in an apartment, we can't really let the puppy cry for hours on end. Not that you really should let the puppy cry for hours on end either. But we really can't living in an apartment. Uh, the next morning we were uh, notified by the management office that we received two complaints from neighbors <laughs> over the sound. So we had to explain to them that we got a new puppy and that we're going through crate training and it should be resolved quickly. And they were really cool about it. But, um, so we did get two complaints. Uh, we definitely let him cry more than we should have. Um, because I was just locked on the thought process or the proof in the pudding that this had worked before and it has worked for many of my clients it worked for my past dog this should work right now so just stick with it and it will work because it's just been proven to me too often for me to even consider that there was some other thing that I should be doing to help Loki Loki acclimate to his crate so he cried for about two hours straight uh One of us, I think it was me, ended up getting up and just going out there. And uh, I slept on the couch out there. And every time he kind of woke up and would cry in the middle of the night, I would just console him while I was laying near his crate. So I literally slept on the couch with the crate right next to me on the floor. And anytime he kind of rustled and started crying, if it went on for more than like 20 minutes, I would kind of like use my voice and say like, oh, it's okay. I'm right here. It's okay. And then like when Loki got uh, reassurance that he wasn't alone and someone was there with him, that helped him calm down and he was able to go to sleep. Now, the problem with this is from, from my vantage point was I can't live my life sleeping like that. That's not what I intend to do with a dog that I own. I don't intend to have to console it every night. Or I don't intend to have to be near it every night in order for it to to get sleep. I don't want a dog that's dependent on my presence. That's the whole opposite point of crate training. And so I knew I had a way to kind of manage what was going on at the current time, but I didn't have a way to make it any better. Um, I think we tried the cry it out method the next night, the following night, and we got the same results. We did not let Loki cry for two hours straight. But we did try to have him sleep out there and then have us sleep in the bedroom again. And he wouldn't stop crying. I think this time we only let him go for like 45 minutes uh, before we were like, okay, this is this method's clearly not going to work for him. And we're exhausted. Um, At that point, 
because he wasn't sleeping and we weren't sleeping. We were barely functioning. That's how I kind of described us at the time. Like we would get up and go through the motions and do all the things that we needed to do, but there was no extra life behind all any of our actions. We were just at a functioning baseline level. Whatever we needed to do, we did. Uh, anything beyond that, we were not capable of putting any energy into it. <laughs> also during day two, we made sure to do a lot of the positive association stuff with the crate. So during the day, I was picking Loki up if he fell asleep like on the floor somewhere. I would pick him up and I would go put him in the crate so he would finish out his nap in there to build the association of like, hey, this is your calm space. This is where you go to rest and relax. We were feeding all of his meals in the crate. We were giving uh, Kongs in the crate. And so really trying to say like, hey, the crate is a cool place. You should really like being in here because you get good stuff when you're in here. And also this is the place where you can go to rest and relax. So during the day, he would take naps in there like on and off. But if I tried to crate him overnight, that's when we would have like the major meltdowns and neither of us were getting or any of us were we were not getting any sleep. So I started to reach out to people to help me basically because I was like I don't know what to do I don't know how to solve this problem I've never had this be an issue before I've never had a dog that I've encountered fail or struggle at doing the cry it out method and my brain was so locked on that one method and I was just so exhausted (laughs) that I couldn't formulate any other plan to move forward to help solve the problem I was literally at my wits end so I started contacting other trainers that I knew uh one of them Brett Bailey of who's a good dog industries I've Uh, dropped his name on the podcast before. Uh, I reached out to him and explained what was going on. I uh, had told him before we got Loki that I was getting a puppy and uh, he was, you know, really excited for me as a fellow trainer and then also was like, good luck with the puppy stage. He had just himself gotten a puppy and by the time we were talking about me getting a puppy, his dog was, I think, around like six months old at the time. So he had just freshly gone through it And uh, he was preparing me in advance saying like, hey, remember all the hard stuff that comes with being a puppy? Yeah, I just went through that. I know you kind of forgot because you didn't have a puppy as of or uh, the last time I had a puppy at the time was two and a half years ago. So he's like, remember, this is all stuff that's going to happen. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be it's going to make you exhausted. You're going to feel overwhelmed. If you need anything, just let me know. So when I needed something, (laughs) I reached out and asked him for his input and his help and asked if he had ever encountered something like that before. So as I'm explaining what's going on and what we're dealing with, he said two things to me that completely shattered my overly tired brain. The first one was that letting the puppy cry it out doesn't work for all dogs. Actually, it works for a limited amount of them which just blew my mind because in my experience I had only used that method that was the only thing that I knew to use and also the only thing that has proven to me over and over again that it worked so that was really shocking to me at the time because I was like well am I just getting the that percentage of the dog population that does well with it maybe In any case, he was like, hey, that method works, but not for all dogs. And I was like, okay, well, what do I do with that information? (laughs) 
This is when he said the second thing that blew my mind, which he started to ask me questions about Loki's day. And he was like, okay, what do you do routine wise with him? And I was like, okay, we get up at this time. He eats through training. We play with toys. We go potty outside. We kind of explore the world. We investigate things. We hang out together. He takes a nap. Then we kind of repeat that whole process over again. And that just repeats again and again throughout the day. And here's where he said what blew my mind. He said, if everything fun happens outside of the crate, why would your puppy ever want to be in there? And I was like, that is so true. I never thought of it from that perspective before. Basically, all the fun, exciting stuff that Loki experiences throughout the day does not involve the crate. Because, from my perspective, I wanted the crate to symbolize calmness and quiet, settling time where you go to rest, nobody bothers you, that's your safe space. So why, in my mind, would I ever incorporate any more uh, or any activities that would include more arousal or more excitement or anything like that? I always wanted everything associated with that thing to be calm. And Brett said, yeah, you do want everything associated with that thing to be calm, but it doesn't mean you can't do the fun things in a calm way and associate it with the crate. Because if you don't start to show him that the fun stuff that he experiences also happens or with the crate or involves the crate, he will never actually like or love, really I shouldn't say, he would never actually love being in there as much as he loves being outside of it. And so you're creating this conflict where you're showing him all this cool, fun stuff happening outside the crate and then telling him to go here and be quiet and leave me alone, but also expect him to like that. But why would he like that if we're not creating positive, calm experiences involving the crate? And I was doing a a couple of those things, right? So I was feeding him his meals with the crate so that food was associated with the crate. I was giving him stuffed kongs of treats and food in the crate so he gets a calm passive activity to eat food out of a kong in the crate but those are the only two things that I was doing and associating with the crate because those are the only ways I could think of that I could associate positive things in a calm way so through this conversation I realized that I was creating this imbalance I was creating this conflict between stuff happening outside the crate and stuff not happening basically with the crate. So Loki's perception of the crate was a place where I don't get attention, I don't get affection, I get left here on my own. Yeah, I get food in here, but that's not enough to counter the fact that all the other cool stuff that I like gets taken from me or I don't have access to that when I'm in here. And as a person, not even as a trainer really, as a person, I get stuck on things that work. So the cry it out method in my mind became the way to crate train. Not that it was a way to crate train. It became the way to crate train. I'm very much a person who if I find some routine or a procedure that works, then I stick with it or I try to make it as efficiently effective as possible. And then once I find that perfect harmony of... (laughs) 
efficiency and effectiveness, I stick with that procedure and I start to kind of block out any other routes that could be taken to get whatever that thing is done. So like um, this can be as um, simple as like the way that I do the dishes. I have a, a set procedure that I follow to do the dishes that I feel is the most effective, aka we get the dishes done and efficient as in we spend the least amount of time doing the dishes as possible. And that's the way to do the dishes in my mind. There is no other way to do the dishes because if you did them in another way, you would be either sacrificing efficiency or effectiveness. And so because that's my personality type, when I find a training system or a training procedure or a method or whatever you want to call it that works, I focus in really hard on it to perfect it to my standards. And then once I feel it's been perfective or perfected, I repeat that over and over and over and over again. And it becomes the way to do something. Being a trainer has challenged that personality type in myself to actually seek out different pathways to achieve the same goal that may sacrifice efficiency here, may sacrifice time there, may sacrifice effectiveness, but ultimately get us to the same point where it was the best for that dog or it was the best for that owner. So the Cray training was one of those moments where I was like, hey, you need to check yourself because you're stuck on a procedure that you don't need to be married to. (laughs) There are other ways to get this done. You don't have to do it this strict way. This isn't the only way to do this. Typically, there are multiple paths to getting any type of training accomplished or reaching any type of goal. And the variables that typically get adjusted are time, your relationship with the dog, and then your where you fall on the scale of reinforcement versus punishment. I shouldn't say versus because they're not against each other, but where you fall on a scale, like a sliding scale, how close are you towards the reinforcement end? How close are you towards the punishment end? Where do you fluctuate on that scale as you're going throughout the process? So usually when we're talking about training, we're either adjusting time, our relationship with the dog, and where we fall on the reinforcement punishment scale. Time, how long do you have to work on this? If you have months to work on something, then you can take obviously a slower approach, which typically means that you're going to be more so on the reinforcement end of that scale. You don't have to dip into punishment too deeply. And you're usually putting your relationship with that dog first because you're going at a really slow pace so that you can allow the dog to work slowly through something with you together as a team as a unified unit and you become partners in it and it's a beautiful blossoming relationship full relationship effort that you guys get to go through together Um, if you are short on time then typically you're going to sacrifice relationship because it's hey I got to get this done you're going to go through some stress I'm going to go through some stress it's going to suck for a little bit of time, but we got to get this accomplished. Sometimes that's just the way training has to go. Certain 
uh, behavior problems sometimes require that. Say you are living in an apartment and you are being threatened to be uh, evicted if you can't get your dog to stop barking during the day. You don't have the time to do the slow, positive reinforcement, um, upholding the relationship uh, procedure because you could get evicted out of your apartment. Maybe within a week you got to get your dog or maybe in a couple of days you got to get your dog to stop barking during the day while you're gone. So that means, hey, we're going to sacrifice our relationship a little bit here because I'm going to have to give you some some hard truths. We're going to have to dip in a little bit more to punishment in order to say, hey, dude, you actually can't do that while I'm gone. Sorry about that. But that's just the way it is, right? So that's just one example. There are loads of examples. Um, and so that's kind of how all of those things interplay. And with my personal dog, I always prefer to uphold the relationship as best as I can. But I'm not afraid to slide on that scale of positive versus uh, positive reinforcement versus uh, negative punishment or uh, reinforcement versus punishment in general. And I'm also typically a person, like I said, who's looking for efficiency. So I would like less time. So I put myself in this position often where I want to get it done as efficiently as possible. So least amount of time with the most I can preserve of our relationship. And therefore, those two things determine where I fall on the reinforcement versus punishment scale. Uh, but it kind of puts me in a hard place because it's really hard to do things in a short amount of time and keep your relationship completely intact. Because typically, if you're going to do short time, you're often going to have to slide further towards punishment. And the more punishing you are, obviously, we don't really like to hang out with people who are negative to us all the time. Not that punishment is always negative, but um, typically if we're going to be using punishment, then we kind of have to sacrifice a little bit of relationship. And these are not all hard and true facts. Everything's a scale. Basically, time is a scale. Are you going on the short end of time? Or are you going to the long end of the scale time? Relationship-wise, are you preserving a fantastic, beautiful relationship on the one end? Or are you like, I don't really care. I have this this dog in front of me who I have to do this to, who's in a shelter situation. I don't really have a relationship with him in the first place, but I got to get this dog to this point so that he gets off the uh, kill list from the shelter, right? So that's a dog that's like, hey, I don't really have a relationship with you. We're not going to build a relationship together, but I just got to get in here and do my job and get this done with you to save you basically, right? So there's just all of these variables are always moving and playing off each other at any given time. And I'm always trying to find that, perfect system where I can be lowest on time as possible, highest on the relationship scale and closer to the reinforcement end of that spectrum. And that is extremely challenging. I mean, that's typically what I try to do with most of my client dogs as well. But when it comes to your own personal dog, that's what, um, there's just a different level of investment there because that truly is a relationship that you covet and that you know that you want to build to its highest capacity and enjoy for years and years. So there's just like a different uh, commitment when it comes to your own personal dog and it makes the stakes feel higher. So when I was struggling with the cried out method and I knew that I was causing Loki undue stress, it was killing me because I'm like, our relationship me being here to say, hey, you're coming into my house. It's going to be a nice, safe space for you. That 
was not being communicated to him. But I also didn't have a lot of time. I live in an apartment, so I can't go this super long method of uh, trying to get him to never cry in the crate. It's just not going to happen. I'm not home all the time. I have neighbors who share walls with me. He's going to cry at given, given points. I got to get this dog crate trained. I also needed to get him crate trained because if the only way to make him feel calm and safe was having somebody else there at the apartment, that didn't allow me to leave the apartment. <laughs> so I was stuck there, right? If Andrew was home from work, then I was able to leave and go do stuff and get stuff done uh, or vice versa. If I was home, then he could go out and go do stuff and get stuff done. And we had to do this weird uh, trade-off <laughs> where one of us was home with Loki while the other one was away because we knew that if we just left him in the crate and left the house, he was going to have a freak out. We'd get more of uh, complaints. We could possibly get evicted if we got enough complaints. Um, and also we're just causing him a boatload of stress that we don't need to, and it's deteriorating our relationship. So back to my conversation with Brett, he said, everything fun is happening outside the crate and nothing fun or barely anything fun has to do with the crate. And you got to change that. So I listed, or in my mind, I don't think I wrote it on a piece of paper. I think I just listed it in my head. All of the fun things that happen outside the crate. On that list were walks, playtime, or play with toys, training, treats, attention, petting, affection, excitement, exploration, sniffing. Um, and if we imagine a scale, where one side represents everything that happens outside of the crate and the other side of that scale represents everything that has to do with the crate, we would see that we're loaded up on the side of that scale that refers to stuff going on outside of the crate. And so that side of the scale is really heavy and it's just pretty much dropped all the way down to the floor while the crate side is hanging out way up in the air. It has barely any weight on it. And what Brett told me that I needed to do was try to make that scale as equal or tipping towards the crate side even um, as possible. Not even as in even on the scale, but if I could get the side of the scale that has to do with the crate to tip just slightly lower than the side that has to do outside, then we're in a good position even is perfectly fine as well, but if we're kind of heavy on the crate side, then the crate becomes cooler than outside the crate, and then we end up in a really excellent position to build up a dog's positive mindset or association with the crate. So like I said, I only had at the time food on the crate side of that scale. And typically what I would do is build positive associations using food, like feeding time and Kongs. But when Loki would go in there, I would just basically ignore him because the cried out method says you just ignore the cries, you ignore the dog until the dog just acclimates. They'll go through a little bit of stress, but they'll be able to overcome it and then they'll be able to settle and relax. So if they cry it out, just leave them, they'll figure it out. And uh, so when he would go in there, I would basically ignore him. So all that other stuff that's happening outside the crate wasn't happening with the crate because the procedure that I was following told me you need to ignore the dog when they're in there. And I actually remember listening to 
an episode of the Canine Paradigm recently, which is a podcast that is targeted towards dog trainers. And one of the hosts is a dog trainer himself. His name is Pat Stewart. And he was talking about these two shepherds that he and his friend Jazz were raising, and they were training these shepherd puppies to work as police canines. Now, these two puppies were from the same litter. They were both male, and they were both selectively chosen based on their traits and personality and characteristics that would make them good candidates for police work. So Pat and Jazz were being contracted to train these pups so that within, I think it was a year, don't quote me on that, they would be able to work with the police. So on this episode, he was talking about how the two dogs needed very different routines when it came to crating them. And now here is where my info isn't going to be entirely accurate uh, because they named them Richard and Robert, and I don't remember which one needed which uh, crate routine. <laughs> so, uh, But for one of them, the dog would just go into their crate after being worked and after going potty and after being tired out and being fulfilled, they would do, okay, you're going in your crate. And the one would go in and it would just go in the crate. It would settle down. It would relax. It cried in the beginning for a little bit when they uh, first started crating it, uh, but it acclimated really quickly and it was able to settle down and it really had no problem being in the crate. The other one, though, was giving them loads of trouble and he would not calm down in the crate. He would just whine and cry and he hated it in there. And they were like, I don't understand <laughs> what to do with this dog. They both received the same training treatment. They both received the same experience, basically. We put both of them in the crates, and the one was able to settle, and the other one wasn't. So after some trial and error, they landed on a solution, which was to cuddle with the one dog who struggled being in the crate for about 10 minutes before putting him in there. Basically, what they were doing was showing him that he was loved, he isn't being abandoned, he's not in trouble, they're not mad at him or anything, he just got reassurance and love before being put in the crate that gave him what he needed to calm down and relax once he was in there. Over time, they reduced that 10 minutes down to just like one to two minutes. Um, and then he never really had a problem again. All he wanted was just some reassur reassurance and affection from them before being put in there so that he knew everything was cool. Everything was fine. They're okay. Their relationship's fine. And once he got that, he was like, okay, cool. I can handle it. I can be in here. So crate training can be really calloused when you're doing the cried out method. And I resonated so much with this podcast because I felt like Loki was like this dog. He would freak out that we just like ditched him in there. And then also we ignored the shit out of him when he made any sounds because we didn't want the crying to lead to attention and create this vicious cycle of crying for attention when he's in there. But all he really wanted was some cuddles before he went in to know that everything was okay. Now, we did more than cuddles, 
because I didn't listen to that podcast episode until after I had crate trained Loki and had this light bulb moment of maybe if I had just done cuddles with him beforehand, we could have skirted a lot of the other training that we did. But I'm glad that we did the other training that we did because Loki freaking loves crates now. Like no other dog I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) But we had to do a lot to get there. So what I did was focus on tipping that scale that I talked about. And I'll post this as a graphic, the scales that I'm describing. I'll post that as a graphic in the Facebook group for reference. So if you want to see what I'm talking about, if you're like a visual person like I am, I'll put it in there so you can go take a look at it. But I wanted to tip that scale back to hopefully at least even on both sides, outside the crate versus in the crate. And if I could weigh it just enough so that in the crate was slightly heavier, slightly better than being outside of the crate. And so that was our focus. And we made everything that we could about the crate. So Loki got food in there. He got love in there, affection, calm play happened in there. Everything that we could center around the crate we did so that we could change his perspective of it slowly over time. Now, all that stuff we also did in a calm way, right? Because like I said, I also wanted the crate to symbolize this place where you go for rest and reprieve. So even though outside of the crate, we still got to do those fun things like going on walks or exploring and sniffing and playing, and those are at a higher energy level, I still was able to take some of those things from that list and associate it with the crate or involve the crate at a lower arousal level so that he realized, hey, I still get to do those cool, fun things. I get to do them at a more calmer, with a more calmer state of mind, but they still happen and they still involve the crate. It was a slow process, I'm not going to lie. At the time, we were still doing that leaving and shifts thing because we wanted to make sure that we didn't screw up any of the crate training before Loki was actually ready to be left on his own. So if someone needed to go do something like run to the store, get groceries, or just you know go to the bank or whatever, we made sure that we were still doing that in shifts. So one of us would be here with Loki while the other one was able to do that stuff. We just wanted to make sure that we avoided putting Loki in his crate and leaving him in there by himself too soon and creating a situation where he would have a meltdown and possibly regress on everything that we built up positively in his uh, mindset and perspective of the crate so far. So we didn't want to create any sort of traumatic experience before he was ready for it that would undo a lot of the work that we were already putting in. All in all, The whole process lasted about three weeks. So within three weeks, we were able to leave him home for the first time in his crate. And then we went to the store and he had no problem with us leaving. Um, I do remember that after, I think it was two days, he started actually going in his crate on his own after we started implementing this new procedure. And uh, it was the three weeks It was like three weeks-ish time that we were then able to finally leave the house together and we didn't have to do shifts anymore. But that was for only during the day, okay? So that was only, hey, you're going to be in the crate for maybe an hour while we run to the store, max, and then we'll be back. You're not in there overnight. 
We were, though, at the time, working on the night crate training as well as the day crate training. We were doing both of those at the same time. But in terms of everything we talked about so far, I was explaining how we were building up those positive associations. And that's all stuff that you do during the day, right? So nighttime's very different. I'm not going to be sitting there petting and cuddling him in his crate overnight like I need to get sleep. We're not feeding you overnight. We're not playing calmly in the crate overnight, right? Crate time at night is a different ball game. So we had to approach it differently. We still did all that stuff during the daytime. So we're still building up those positive associations. We're still trying to tip that scale to bring it back to even or slightly to the crate side advantage. But in terms of nighttime stuff, we had to follow different procedures to ensure that overnight we're still crate training, but not doing it in a way where it's too stressful or too challenging for Loki to handle. So again, giving credit to Brett here, he helped me devise a plan to slowly get Loki accustomed to sleeping in the crate overnight, uh, being in there for longer, and not having direct access to me. Because if you remember in the beginning of the episode, I said what I was doing overnight to manage the crying was I was literally having to sleep next to the crate. And every time he kind of rustled and started crying, I'd have to soothe him to get him to go back to sleep. And that was not something I could do long term, not something that I wanted to commit to doing long term. So we came up with a plan to help Loki adjust to sleeping in the crate overnight. And we again, we wanted ultimately Loki to be able to sleep in the main area of our apartment and not in our bedroom. That was our ultimate goal. Andrew and I sleep in the bedroom. He sleeps in his crate peacefully overnight out in the main area of our apartment. We like that because we don't like hearing the noise of the dog in the crate overnight. That will wake me up at the very least. I don't know if it would wake Andrew up, (laughs) but that would wake me up every time the dog moved. Um, And also we're not sleep in our bed with us dog people. I'm especially not that type of person if I have a puppy because I do want to instill independence and confidence um, in the dog. And so the way, one of the ways that I do that is by helping the dog learn that they are confident and resilient enough to handle sleeping by themselves at nighttime. So that was our ultimate goal. And what we did was we took turns sleeping on the couch out in the main area where the crate was. And so one night it would be my turn, the next night it would be Andrew's turn, and we would sleep with the crate right next to us on the couch. So not on the floor, on the couch. And our couch has got like one of those L-shaped couches. So we would sleep on the long part of the L-shape and we put the crate on the short stubby part of the bottom of the L so that the crate door was facing our face. (laughs) And so if at night, if Loki woke up, and he started to freak out while he was in there. We could calmly talk to him. He could see that we were right there. And just seeing us and hearing us for a few minutes, he would settle back down and he would go back to sleep. And that's basically what I was doing for management before, except I had the crate on the floor. This was, we're elevating it so he can actually physically see us. So maybe if he woke up at night and didn't cry, or I didn't wake up, or Andrew didn't wake up, but he saw us, he could be reassured enough to know, oh, they're still there, we're still cool. I'm going to go back to sleep now. Now, over the three weeks that we had been working on daytime stuff, we also at night worked slowly to move him farther and farther away from the couch until he was in the spot that we intended to keep the crate permanently and he no longer 
was waking up in the middle of the night and instantly starting to panic. So that was a slow, long process. A couple nights he slept right on that L part of the ottoman facing us, and then we moved the crate to the floor. And then we moved the crate a little bit farther away from the couch and then farther away from the couch and then farther away, right? And so over the three weeks, we worked to move him from literally right on top of us to an area in the apartment that was still in the same room where we were sleeping on the couch, but he could no longer see us. He could still hear us if we moved. He could still smell us. Obviously, we were out there. He can smell us. Um, And if he did really struggle, we could, from where we were, go, hey, buddy, it's okay. I'm still here. Uh, just to help him through and then when we got to the point where he was in his spot that he needed to be and he was sleeping through the night so a couple nights in a row he's like yep I'm sleeping through the night I'm not having problems anymore if I wake up I kind of self-soothe and I can go back to sleep on my own you don't need to help me anymore that's when we finally were able to sleep together again in our bedroom and if Loki woke up in the middle of the night while out in the family room he was comfortable enough now to know that everything was fine and he should just go back to sleep, and he was able to do that. So that's really what actually happened when I crate-trained Loki. I slept terribly. Andrew slept terribly. Um, <laughs> we were sleeping on our couch, which, you know, couches are comfortable, but only to a certain degree. Uh, <laughs> so I got a couple uh, neck and back sores, but um, we were getting up midway through the night for potty breaks as usual, uh, but we were doing that long slow process of waking up multiple times a night to kind of soothe Loki and just kind of use our voice to say that hey we're there it's cool you can settle it's fine Um, we never let him out of the crate while we were doing that we just used our presence to kind of say hey it's cool everything's fine you can handle it and within usually about like 10 minutes he would just go back to sleep again Um, in the beginning he would wake up a lot and we'd be doing that a lot so we again we weren't really sleeping a lot or we were but we were getting woken up a lot which ruins your sleep, basically. But yeah, it was rough, to say the least. Uh, But we got there. (laughs) And now, Loki loves his crate. Like, he goes in his crate all all the time. Not just, like, our crate in the apartment. He is, like, thrumming with energy to get into the crate in my car, because he rides around in my car in a crate. Um, Or in Andrew's truck, we put the crate in there. He rides around Andrew's truck in a crate. That's kind of different. He knows that he's going to go do something exciting. So that's why he's so amped to get in the crate. Uh, But he's like screaming and whining and like jostling with energy before I release him to go jump in the car crate. He loves it. If he stays with someone else, um, Brie Rabine, I got it right, uh, who was on the podcast uh, last episode, she watched Loki for us and commented how, like, if there was ever a crate anywhere where he was, he would go in it. And he just is like, yep, I'm going in here. This is what we do, right? Uh, so he loves his crate now. Like, nobody's business. Like, no other dog I've ever seen. But if you asked me in the early days of when we got him, if we were going to get him to the point where he would love his crate that much, I would think I would straight up say no. I think I would at the time have said, yeah, I'm stubborn enough and resilient enough to make it happen eventually and figure this out and get him to like being in his crate but I never would have thought that I would have gotten him to this degree of love (laughs) with his crate that he has now the experience itself was really difficult because we were very careful with what we were doing and every interaction that we had with him was kind of 
pre-planned basically which is i mean that's kind of basically how it is if you're uh if you're a trainer and you're raising a puppy basically everything that you do with that puppy is pretty much pre-planned um (laughs) but just the amount of effort that went into making sure that we were tipping that scale in the right direction and doing all this stuff overnight it was a lot of work and i'm i'm glad for it like i'm glad that i went through it because now i have a different perspective and i've learned that I get stuck on certain procedures that I need to open my mind to different possibilities. So that has helped me realize that there are many paths that work. And for Loki's case, he needed us to take a different one than the one that I was just trying to force him down. And if I wasn't so stubborn in thinking that, hey, this should work, why isn't it working? I'll just try harder at it. Then maybe we would have arrived sooner towards our goal but in any case it's been a life lesson for me and it's really cool to see the difference in how Loki treats his crate versus how Coda treated his crate with the cried out method like Coda was fine with his crate um he'd go in there whenever we asked him to he would go and settle and whatever um but he wasn't always a dog that would choose to just like go in there and settle and rest that wasn't often something he would choose to do whereas Loki does that all the time um it's not a bad thing like coda would sleep on his cot or sleep on the floor on the couch or like near you or whatever like he'd find his own places to settle and rest but it was not often that he would choose the crate um so there's you know trade-offs to everything that we're doing right goes back to my whole talk in the beginning about time versus relationship versus reinforcement and punishment right where Are you falling on any of those spectrums? What are you sacrificing? What are you gaining? Um, If you actually, if you want to know more about methodologies and reinforcement versus punishment, all that kind of stuff, you can go back and listen to episode two. I did a whole deep dive on that. So if you're interested in that part of this episode, go take a listen to episode two. That talks a lot about that. But yeah, it was a humbling process. We'll put it that way. And (laughs) that's why I have the crate training course. Um, that I mentioned in the beginning. It teaches the cry it out method because that is like the one that everybody typically knows. It's the most common and it can work for your dog. Don't get me wrong. Like I've told told you in the beginning, lots of my clients have used that to success. Dog's fine. Family's fine. Great. Love it. Perfect. Um, but for some dogs, apparently it just doesn't work and <laughs> they uh, need to be taught crate training through another method. And so that's what I'm dubbing or calling the crate equals everything method because uh what I was doing at the time was outside the crate equals everything right and so now I'm teaching that as a different method within that course because some dogs just need it and some people don't know about it like me or they don't know that that's a path that they can take or if they do know it's a path they can take they don't know how to do it so it's nicely packaged in the course for anyone who is stuck or they just want to learn it and it's just 19 bucks because I know the pain of crate training when it goes wrong. So if someone needs this course, uh, it should be, in my opinion, easily affordable so that they can just get past the stress as soon as possible and get their sleep back. So link for that is in the show notes if you want it. I'll also, like I said, post that graphic of the scales in the group to help you visualize what I'm describing here. And for anybody who listened to this episode, if you want 
my seven steps to calm checklist, which is a free checklist. It's for you. It's the procedure that I follow before I put a dog in the crate for like nap time or before I put them in the crate, you know, overnight. It's the steps that I follow before I put the dog in there to make sure that they will be calm once they are in there or have the best chance or best opportunity to be calm and settle. If you want that checklist, you can just shoot me a DM on any of the meads and uh, I'll send that over to you that I have for free. It's what I share often with my clients. So for listening to this whole episode, if you want access to that, I'll send that to you. Other than that, if you liked this episode and found some value in it, please share it with a fellow dog owner or somebody who's getting a puppy who will be going through crate training. Share it with them so that they know to not be so stubborn like me and get stuck on a single method and uh, also so that they know that there are resources out there for them. And then also subscribe them to the show, to the podcast, so that when I drop new episodes, they get alerts on their phone for when those episodes are out. If you want to get in touch with me about training or give feedback or ask a question, the best way to do that is by visiting my website, myk9coach.com, and requesting a consultation, or you can send me an email at caninecoachdana at gmail.com. Both of those are listed in the show notes. You can also subscribe to my email list via the website to get updates from all things Canine Coach. You get training tips, you get alerts when new episodes drop, you get notified when new courses come out. You'll be on my email list of people that I send a newsletter to in the middle of each month that recaps all the major points of that month's podcast episode. So you don't have to go back and listen to the full episode to review the highlights. I put them all in that newsletter. So jump on that if you want those emails. But most importantly, please write a review to help the show grow. That's really how the algorithms on Apple, Spotify, whatever are going to say, hey, this show is awesome. Let's show it to more people. So please write me a review and give me five stars if you think I'm five star worthy so that I can get this out to more people and help more dog owners. But that's it for this episode. I'll see you next time. And Loki and I are going to go do some cool dog stuff. <laughs>